This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina Young, and today we're talking about the geographic and social landscapes of the Bears Ears region of Southeast Utah. My name is Gustavo Obando Montejo, and I am an assistant professor in the Department of Environment and Society at Utah State University, and I'm specifically located at the Blanding Campus. Gustavo uses geography and social science to understand landscapes and how people interact with them. We begin with Gustavo describing how we got interested in asking questions about geography. I became interested in geography first. I didn't know what geography was in general, but when I was an undergraduate student, I had the chance to take a natural hazards class. And in that natural hazards class, one of the, well, I think the final assignment was to create a map of, of a situation. If your boss ever came to or moved to a particular city and he asked you specifically to determine the perfect areas without natural hazards in which he and his family could live. And in that scenario, we had to create a map of the ideal neighborhood without natural hazards. And the idea of creating a map was incredibly powerful to me. So I was like, you can actually make a map. How do you make a map? Is it something that you grab from like an atlas or uh, how do you go about making a map? And that idea resonated with me. The, The power to create a product in which you can then use and make decisions based on that data that you're showing on a map I think it is incredibly powerful and that's what attracted me to geography as a field of study and just also that I love maps in general I've been making maps for a long time and and I love it and so you know with this love of geography and and thinking about where things are and landscapes how did you get involved to then in in the social side of, of that So the social side really collides with the physical world. In order to understand what humans do, how they use the landscape, we also need to know how the landscape works, how the physical properties of the landscape, in terms of weather patterns, climatic patterns, vegetation, temperature, all of those things influence to a degree what people do in certain areas. And in order to understand those activities, they have to be bridged. If we are to create a better world, the world without inequalities, we need to understand the specific perspectives that people take from the landscape and also incorporate it with the physical world. And we cannot really do that if we do not have a knowledge, a base knowledge of societies and how societies work and also how the physical environment works. And I think that's the bridge that makes a lot of questions that can have answers knowable and have a direct impact on what we're trying to create and solve specific questions, hands-on questions that can improve the lives of people and the environment at the same time. Part of the work that you are developing and, and the work that you have going on in the on the Blanding campus is turning to Bears Ears to ask some of these questions. So I want to start by kind of asking what, what makes Bears Ears an interesting place to, to look at these social geographical questions. Well, I think one of the key perspectives on, on Bears Ears, uh, at least for me, as I, as I try to understand it, because trying to understand a landscape such as Bears Ears and as complex as Bears Ears is, is very difficult, at least in a professional sense, but ultimately to understand the geographic boundaries of Bears Ears. So when, when we are talking about Bears Ears, 
uh, what is Berziers? Are we talking about the buttes that make up the Berziers? Kind of the typical view of Berziers or kind of the entire area, the political boundaries of what is now Berziers. And, and I think that was key for me to understand what, what is Berziers in general. And I think for most people, the Berziers is not only about the buttes, kind of this iconic landscape and, and land formation, but also the greater area of the Berziers, which has until relatively recently has been dedicated as a, as a national monument. And it is extremely compelling, not only because of the beauty of this, of this landscape, but also the human occupation that has been in this particular area for thousands of years. So we have artifacts that archeologists can date back to at least 10,000 years ago evidence of human occupation in this area for about 10,000 years ago, which is incredible. Also the fact that it is one of the areas in the United States which has the densest amount of archeological sites anywhere in the United States. And we are talking about relatively recent archeological sites. And those archeological sites, impressive and mind-bending we can trace back those archaeological sites, those settlements, and we can trace it back to tribes and native nations that are living and breeding right now in the area. The beauty and the archaeological and human uses of this landscape make it a beautiful landscape to understand, a beautiful laboratory to understand human issues at large. Your last point was so compelling. You know, you said human issues at large, and using using this landscape and and its long occupation to to say bigger things about people and society and stuff. So, can you tell me about some of the things that you want to know about? You know, the bears. You have some questions that you are asking about this region and and what that could mean for bigger understandings. Yeah. So currently, there's a the bears. I think it is. And for the past, I think, six years, perhaps, it has been so incredibly charged politically because of the monument, first of all, being set as a, as a national monument in the first place uh, and then being reduced in size. And right now, the current administration is trying to get it back to its original size. Within all of this political discussion about the Bears and what it represents, there is also kind of a deeper question of understanding a space a sacred. And we need to take uh, at least the point of view of Native American peoples across the area. Because for a lot of them, this area is a sacred landscape, as sacred as perhaps a church. So if we think of here in Utah, and we have LDS temples all over the landscape, and we think how for the LDS population, those are sacred sites, those are sacred places we can also think of the bear's ears for Native American groups as having that sacredness, uh, not only as a building or uh, you know, as a square of land, but for the entire landscape. And that's the sacredness and the respect that is viewed by Native American groups. And that creates also conflict with the modern world as people try to extract resources from these sacred landscapes. And that, at first, um, we might think that it creates a difference in uh, the way that people want to use it and value it. People might want to try to use it as a, as a place to get jobs, to extract energy, to extract resources and generate wealth. And other people might try to view that and keep that 
as a sacred place, a place that shouldn't be touched, that should remain as a, as a temple in any other religious circumstances might remain just untouched or used for a religious purpose in general. So I think this creates, a, in a way, a kind of a conflict of interest. And so then as a, as a social scientist and as a geographer, how do you start forming and asking questions about all of that? So I think that, well, we have a project right now uh, working on the Bersiers, and, and I think our role is to, is to kind of remove ourselves from the politics because the politics can change. We are trying to understand uh, with a particular project that we have on the Bersiers is what people actually think about the Bersiers. And this can be a really valuable tool for managers. So right now, the, the Bears Ears is managed through federal agencies, the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, the Forest Service. So when the people, they, they do not feel like those federal agencies are listening to their voices, then they feel like that those federal, federal agencies, they're the enemies, right? They, they cannot be trusted in a way. But on the other hand, research costs also demonstrated that, the, that if the federal agencies are keeping uh, and are listening to the voices of the people that have a direct connection to these places or that live around these places, then trust can be built, and then agreement can be built, and then cooperation uh, might exist. And that's exactly what my team of researchers were trying to do. We're trying to understand what the perspectives are from the people that are living close to, to the Bersiers National Monument, so that potentially managers can read the research and understand what the people are saying and thinking so that an agreement can exist and cooperation can be built instead of just political discourse that might leave that might leave nowhere, right? Super cool work. So I assume you seek to get a lot of different perspectives within within that community because as I'm as I living here in Moab, we kind of all know that there are different groups who are live around the Bears ears, different groups of people. And so the idea with this kind of research would be then kind of incorporating all of that as as a package to give to managers in, or all those different perspectives. Is that right? Yeah, so we are trying to get perspectives of what people are thinking about the Bears Ears National Monument from a broad range of, of communities and how people identify themselves. We are trying to get a broad range of, for example, Native Americans and what they think about the Bears Ears National Monument, about other residents, white residents, for example, in Blanding, and what they think about the Bears Ears National Monument and how they think this monument should be used or could be used. From just what we have collected so far, we can see that this is not a, a black and white issue. Okay, the white people are bad because they want to put extraction on the on this sacred land. That's absolutely not the case. And also, it's not that Native Americans are the good people and, and they want to preserve and keep it pristine without any human interference. So as we are trying to collect those sentiments by the people that live around these areas, we can see that this is already more complex than just black and white. White people are bad. Native peoples are good. It's more complex than that. And that's the value of doing this kind of research at the interface of landscapes and, and social science is that it gives us a chance to explore what people think so that we can create some type of consensus. What we have been understanding from this issue, again, this is still uh, an ongoing research, Bersir's National Mon Monument. It is a good idea, perhaps, but it also brings a lot of drawbacks 
that they don't really like and that they see as negatives, that perhaps it's not in the best best interest of the land it, uh, and the landscape in itself. And, and also we have found that there's also a lot of non-native residents that they want to make the best decision possible, that they want to see the religious beliefs protected, but they also want to see the land protected as well. But they also want these spaces to be used potentially to generate wealth, to generate jobs. You know, Utah, I mean, within San Juan County, we found some of the poorest communities across the entire state. So any type of opportunity to generate income, to generate jobs and wealth, a lot of people perceive that as a good thing, especially within an economic setting in which prices are going up everywhere. Just people see it as as a valuable and, and a good option to create jobs. And they don't necessarily see it as a destruction of the landscape, but also as an other opportunity to increase job opportunities. And what we have also been seeing is that a lot of people, especially the non-native population, they just don't want to see a destruction of the fairs across, right? With a bunch of oil and gas extraction points. They want to see it do it right. They want to see that that the nature, uh, that the beauty of the landscape is is protected and is preserved, right? So this is more complex than just bad and, and good black and white or a binary perspective. And I think this is why this kind of research is so important. I'm curious how you see this work being applicable to other regions, or if it is at all. The Bears Ears, this is an issue here, but it's also an issue around Utah and throughout the West, these public lands issues. And so how do you see this work being applied at a larger scale? One of the key applications coming from this issue in general, not only this research, but these general issues around the Bears Ears in general, they're applicable in a bunch of different places where there is conflict between values and the people, what they value what society values, and resource extraction. And I think one of the clearest examples is that perhaps not right now, but let's say within 200 or 500 years, how will we view these issues? Or how will people in the future view those issues of what we do right now? For example, if natural resource extraction, it generates employment and it generates wealth and it generates a bunch of benefits for societies, but they're generating these things for a limited amount of time. So this is not something that is going on for, for example, oil extraction. It's not something that at least that scientists think will not last 500 years or a thousand years, right? So when we're trying to understand how we use the landscape in a way that is merciful, that is in which the environment is protected, but also in a way that it is creating wealth and jobs and socioeconomic benefits for society, I think it is hugely important because if we do not have like a set of understanding of what we're doing in the long term, the decisions that we are taking right now or that we have taken in the past, then we will continue to pollute the landscape. Jobs eventually will run out as the extraction resources they leave and nothing, nothing can be sustainable in a way. Also, it is worth mentioning that with a lot of resource extraction, and we have plenty of examples in the United States, but also across the world that demonstrate that resource extraction in a way, it happens in the short term 
it is in a way short-sighted. For example, resource extraction in an area like the Bears years, like it has happened before, like with the uranium boom, perhaps it lasted perhaps 60 years, give or take. And then after those resources are extracted and then people have made money and everything, but they often leave huge environmental issues around the landscape. And those issues can last far longer than the benefits that they brought to the community in those 60 years. Right? And those issues can be repeated, for example, in areas across Moab or around the Bears years, and that will continue to happen with these conversations, and they will continue to happen in other places. So if we do not understand how to integrate both perspectives, how to generate jobs and how to generate wealth and money in a sustainable way, and yes, using, using the resources that the landscape might provide, but also by integrating what people are thinking about those things, how they can be integrated holistically, then we will continue to experience things where resource extraction goes on, it strikes the environment, and then after it runs out, it moves to another place. And then the people that are left at those places, they ultimately have to deal with the environmental consequences, right? But I think uh, this is where the research and the science go hand in hand, that we can still get resources from the earth, from the landscape, and make it work in a way that is sustainable as much as possible for both the landscapes and for the societies that depend on those resources. So I don't think it should be viewed as black and white. Right? And again, this is why the bear seers can be so important because what we decide to do with this issue will have repercussion into the next project and into the next resource extraction project or in the next tourism project somewhere. So they go hand in hand, I think. Well, Gustavo, thank you so much for taking this time to talk to us about all of these issues. And it's definitely, I really appreciate you shining the light on the complexity of all of them. And I think listeners will too. So thank you. All right. Yeah, no problem. I, I really hope that through conversation, uh, we can we can have a better understanding of our place in the landscape. And not everything is black and white. In fact, nothing is black and white. That there is room for discussion. There is room for understanding. And there is room for public discourse. At the end, remembering that we're all humans and that we're all trying to do the best we can with the resources and the things that we have. And I think that starting from that place can bring us to eventually lead us to a better place. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab is done in partnership with Utah State University Extension. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.